Online Business Edge podcast listeners, Jared here. This week's episode was recorded live in front of an audience at Kajabi Hero Live in Austin, Texas. There's going to be a little bit more background noise than you're used to in a typical podcast. But since so many of you couldn't be there in person, we wanted to ensure that you got a taste of some of the amazing content shared during the event. With that, let's get to our conversation with Roberto Blake, creative entrepreneur and founder of Awesome Creator Academy. Here at Kajabi, we are known for one thing, helping everyday people like you build successful businesses online. With our simple all-in-one platform, we've paved the way for over 100,000 people to create 300,000 products and collectively earn over $3.9 billion in revenue. And we've created the Online Business Edge podcast to inspire, educate, and empower you to do the same. So unlike other podcasts that highlight the glory stories of today's most successful entrepreneurs, we're bringing you the real stories from real people who have created real success to give you the online business edge you need to succeed in today's digital marketplace. So if you're someone who's looking to start an online business, allow us to be the first to welcome you home to the Kajabi family. everyone and welcome to the Online Business Edge podcast. My name is Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience. And today I'm joined by my friend Roberto Blake. How's it going today, Roberto? It's going awesome. How are you, Jared? I am very well. Uh, this is a really, really fun series of episodes because normally the podcast is recorded from the studios, the rooms, the offices. But like today we are here at Kajabi Hero Live. So. Yes. I'm sure everyone listening in on the recording later um, is going to hear some nice warmth, some sounds in the background, and that's <laughs> completely intentional and also completely cool because we have some people around us walking around, exploring the event, uh, listening to some great speakers, including yourself, Yep, um, who's here. But for now, let's just dig into your story. So maybe you can give us just like a quick elevator pitch of who you are and what you do. Uh, well, let's see. Um, the, the list of accolades is, uh, growing. So, um, that's definitely a good thing. Uh, but it drags it out a little bit. So, uh, I'm Roberto Blake. I'm a creative entrepreneur and the founder of Awesome Creator Academy, where we help other content creators and creative entrepreneurs build their brands and businesses, take those things full time. Or if they're already full time, we try to help them create uh, systems and monetization schemas that help them just get back to more of what's important to them. So that's something that I'm very proud of. Uh, we started that um, launched on Kajabi back in uh, the end of 2017. Okay. So a uh, five solid years uh, of doing that successfully. Uh, you know, six figures every year and growing. Um, very happy, proud of that. Proud of my team. Uh, my sister Ariana Blake, uh, my operations manager and co-instructor Andy Rivera. She's amazing. So uh, really proud of having a business that's built around friends and family. Uh, I'm a public speaker at events like Kajabi Hero Live, and I've been doing that since, uh, let's say, 2015, it seems like. So I've uh, been a minute in the speaking world doing events. I did, I think one of my first events was How Design Live. It was really good. That was a definitely a big one in that space. Uh, social media marketing world as early as 2016, uh, where I think that was like kind of my um, premiere or debut in the social media marketing ecosystem. So that was um, definitely a lot of fun. Keep noted at some stuff like uh, Creator Economy Expo, did a talk at VidCon, uh, did the virtual conferences of that during the pandemic. So uh, really good stuff with speaking, 
recently best-selling author of the book, uh, Create Something Awesome, How Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion in the Creator Economy. Completely self-published that uh, less than a year ago, August uh, 2022, September for the print book, uh, hopefully audiobook later this year. Um, so that's done really well. Amazon bestseller in the podcasting category. Uh, at one point in the um, entrepreneur category, definitely was in the top 50 uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, so some really good stuff there. Very difficult to do. Thousands of copies, great reviews, uh, 4.6 rating in Amazon, I think, which is really good for a self-published author. Very proud of that. YouTube, 1,600 videos, 38 million views, 585,000 subscribers. Uh, got my first 100,000 subscribers three years in uh, between 2013, 2016 with 800 uploads. Uh, went daily like a lunatic. Would not recommend that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and I, I was able to do all of this because I went into freelancing a decade ago. Left my corporate background doing, um, you know, social media and marketing, traditional marketing and management at a company. Uh, before that, I was at an ad agency for over a year in New York. Um, before that, I was doing graphic and web design at a company. So, um, a very long and varied career, and like. Uh, in my career before doing like the corporate office work, I was still doing freelancing, but I was doing uh, different things. Uh, I was a photographer at Sears. Uh, I did retail like most kids do like in their teens and 20s. And obviously I was freelanced on the side doing video, photography, weddings, graphic design, building websites for local small businesses, churches. I learned how to code at 13, which was like 25 years ago, back in the AOL days. Yeah, I love like so. Yeah, I mean, so that's like the long and short of a lot of my background. It's just been progression of stacking skills around things that I was interested in in creativity, technology, and business. I still do a lot of that today. And um, what I'm very fortunate to do is to help other creative people develop their skills using the tech and tools available to them, teach them about the business side so they're not a starving artist, and also help them with strategy and with doubling down on their craft and really having the ability to make something of it and build that personal brand for themselves, build that online business and uh, get a little bit more of the life that they want. Well, I, I've got to say, especially since the vast majority of people aren't here in person to see this and there's not a video feed, Roberto said that all from memory. He did not have a notebook in front of him. That's incredibly impressive to pull off that entire list. I can't remember what I ate for breakfast, for goodness sakes. Um, but let's dig in more to the journey now. Like I'd love to, uh, man, there's so much there. Like let's, let's yeah. talk about maybe the, uh, the inspiration behind transitioning out of the corporate world where you were working. I don't, I think it was, was an agency first or agency second. Um, agency was like the, the second in between like career. Um, it was the marketing, management and being over both the marketing department and the design department at a web hosting company at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, the transition out of that to full-time freelancer was frankly just being depressed and burned out, frustrated. And so like fire me or I quit that sort of thing, um, which not necessarily recommended for everybody. And, you know, I was in a small town. So it's like, you know, sometimes though, you don't have a choice. You have to burn the bridges, burn the boats, burn it all and yeah. move on. And it can light your path and it certainly will light a fire under you to do so. Not necessarily advocating for that approach, but I was just like in that situation. And the good news is 
as a result of preparation, thoughtfulness, and professionalism, I was prepared to go that route and go my own way and become an independent. And I've managed to have that work out for a decade. So uh, I'm obviously doing something right. I've probably at this point worked as long for myself as I ever have any but one else collectively. So, and I'm my longest standing employer. So I, I think I must have figured something out. <laughs> I would guess so. Well, uh, talk to us about just that journey, taking the leap. I mean, un- understandably that's going to be, uh, you know, whether you're, whether you're burnt out or whether you're just like excited about something new, it's a big step to take to step out of the steady paycheck, if you will. So um, I guess for you, how did you go like, you mentioned, I think, kind of going full on just oh, yeah. right away. Client services. Because like, well, I went to directly client services because everyone's idea and think is, oh, I'm a launch course, oh, I'm a launch product. Back then, there wasn't really that much of anyone doing that because we're, we're talking about a decade ago. We're, yeah. But well, for me, for years and years, because I worked in the web hosting industry, I, I saw that like we were solving problems. In particular, me, I was solving problems, especially with the web design side of the house. It's like, wait a minute, almost all of our like customers, if not our best paying customers that are hosting these websites are either entrepreneurs or they're trying to be. Many of these people are literally working from home from a computer or a laptop or travel abroad quite frequently. They're not more tech savvy than me. They are calling us for me and other people, whether it's uh, the sysadmins or tech support to solve problems they themselves are not capable and competent to solve. Yet they make six figures or more a year. So they can't do that without us. They can't do that without me solving the problem, building the website, fixing the website, or us fixing the support tickets or doing this thing. They don't know how any of this technology works, but they're making more money than me. And I'm solving problems and they're entrepreneurs and they're in business and they are not technologically smarter than me. They might have a limited area or domain where they're smarter than me on a speciality. Okay. Do I have specialities where I'm smarter than most people? Yes. And I'm also more tech savvy than these people. Yes. And overall, their business acumen can be acquired literally by reading two or three books cover to cover. At a certain point, I did the math and I realized, wait a minute, even servicing clients, I didn't poach clients from the business, obviously, but just like, you know what? I could service clients, not spend 40 hours a week, solve problems that are valuable to them because the leverage of not solving this problem is so disproportionate in their six-figure business that I can replace a $30,000 a year salary with one or two clients and probably not need to work on that more than 20 hours a week, which would free up a lot of my time. And I could probably do it on my own terms because I'm like, wait a minute, there are people that I can solve a problem for that for them is impossible, but for me takes two, three, five hours. And that problem is so disproportionately disruptive to their business that they will pay $500, $1,000 to never see that problem again. And for me, that's rent wow. to solve a problem in three hours, five hours that they don't have the technical ability to. I can pay my rent on five hours of work instead of 80 hours a week. Of, like, sorry, 80 hours in two weeks. Yes, you know, like you, your paycheck, you get paid every two weeks. Sure. What, like one week covers rent. Oh, sorry. One paycheck a month covers rent. The other paycheck covers everything else. Like, yeah. so... It's like, wait a minute, I can solve, I can solve for rent in five hours as long as I have access to someone with a problem. So I did the math. And so I just put myself into the marketplace. And since in corporate, I did a lot of our sales training. So I actually taught people how to be more effective closers and sales and everything I was really good at when I was in retail anyway. 
So I had that. I had that entrepreneurial bug in me, the gift of gab, obviously. Mm-hmm. Despite being an introvert and how hard it is for me to talk to strangers, I am capable if I do it. So, um, like, shout out to all the introverts out there. You, you're, you're capable and competent. You, you, like, when it comes to uh, reaching out and to closing, it's just that you might have to pay a higher internal energy cost for doing that's so it better be worth it. So just sell for higher margin, um, raise those rates. So I, um, so I did this sales training anyway. So I'm like, all right, I can close people. I had to do the marketing. So I was able to do lead generation. I was a web designer. So I knew SEO, I managed a quarter million a year, Google AdWords budget. So I knew digital online advertising. I worked at the agency. So I knew that side of it. And I pitched to companies in the entertainment cable broadcast industry for largely print, out-of-home, digital, and even video with regard to the advertising where I worked at the agency like in Midtown. So um, I was fully capable when it came to the salesmanship side of it, the marketing and lead generation side of it. And then I had a technical skill set. So all this means was I just wasn't deploying that time and energy in service of myself. I was doing it in service of the business and its infrastructure and its value. And the thing is, I didn't need a high level of capital to deploy in this case because I had the skills to go organic. This is also the early days of social media. I understood it in a way that like the the company and other people didn't because I'm an internet nerd. I was a kid who lived in the internet, you know, my whole life. So I understood these things early on, the implications of them, and I could generate organic traffic. I could dominate um, Google rankings, later YouTube rankings for search. If there's ad budget to spend, I would know how to use it anyway, but I also know how to get around it organically. I knew the value of content. I already had a successful personal blog about my own career journey. I'd already been interviewing digital artists and graphic designers um, at the time that were starting to make waves. I was one of the first people um, to interview um, in the early days of his career, uh, David Cousins, who's a, a digital artist who was featured in a lot of um, uh, publications like uh, Photoshop Creative and Advanced Photoshop Magazine, or um, Fernarde Iqbal, who was a digital artist, I believe, out of like India, who was popping off at the time. Uh, Kurose Irwal, who was um, an uh, Asian digital artist who was doing advanced 3D and digital painting in the very, very early days. Um, there was another um, artist whose name is escaping me right now from the UK. He did one of the first digital paintings on the iPad. He's the one who did the uh, real life uh, looking digital painting, uh, the photorealistic digital painting of Morgan Freeman. Um, and again, his name is escaping me right now, but it's like, it was a big deal when I did that um, interview. This was all a text-based interview, by the way, at the time. So again, early days. So I already knew how to drive what at the time was a lot of traffic to a blog. I was able to cultivate and build my own online traffic. I understood web design to even get into that company. I didn't have a degree in graphic design. I had a portfolio and I left community college because I was going to apply to work at that company anyway after college. So I got the call to like, okay, and yeah, it's like, when can you start? Like, so I'm like, well, wait a minute. I already have the job. Why do I need the credential? The job is the credential from now on. There's nothing superior to already doing the work. So I just was like, okay, I don't need to show up to class anymore. Like, so I'm out. And uh, as they say, the, the rest is history. Yeah. Well, I, I'd love for you to take us through the journey of finding your first 
paying customer? Did you use the techniques that you ultimately... SEO. SEO. Came to me. No way. SEO. They came to me. <laughs> I need this. Uh, uh, can you do it? How much? Yep. Okay. Let's negotiate rates deliverables. Okay. Cool. Invoice. Done. It literally was that simple. Like, so I created that inbound traffic in terms of um, outbound and outreach. A lot of it asking for a referral business, big part of that, or looking at job boards, uh, looking in Facebook groups, looking in Upwork. There was no Fiverr back then. Um, Upwork. Um, at the time, there were other platforms, Elance, Odesk. They would merge into what would become Upwork. Yep. And it was things like that. It was the fact that I, at the time, there used to be this thing called Yahoo Answers where you can answer things, kind of like how Quora is now. Before they shut it down, I had over a thousand questions answered in Yahoo Answered around things around my expertise, which then also linked back to my website, which was my portfolio, which got me my freelance clients. So it was value upfront, proving expertise, demonstrating value, communicating value. Um, I got myself into a couple of publications. I had my uh, design and artwork for my personal projects published in Advanced Photoshop Magazine and Photoshop Creative multiple times. So I had some level, uh, not in like any community outside like the design world and everything like that, but I proved a reputation. And then I had my portfolio of work of stuff I did for myself, things I did at the agency. And so I leveraged all of it. And that uh, was how I was getting my clients at the time when I was doing my freelance work. For local stuff, I was getting video editing gigs. When I started doing my own content on YouTube, I was getting also requests for video editing, some from existing clients, some from referrals, some from just people randomly discovering me. Um, there were individual problems that people would want to solve that, and they had a budget. Sometimes they'd have a project for me and yeah, it would take me all weekend, but it was a thousand bucks. Yeah. I'd have to lose three days of working round the clock, you know, but it's like, it's a thousand bucks. So I was doing that in 20 hours versus, you know, working at the job and making that same thing after taxes after like, you know, two weeks of um, grinding. So like, oh, I can do this in 20 hours and make the pay that I get in 80 hours. So it was just kind of a no brainer to just keep advancing my skills. I now was on my own schedule. And so it was always either farming for clients while that's going on in the background or whatever, I'm working on my skills, becoming a better graphic designer, becoming a better video editor, becoming a better photographer, learning new things, learning how to code uh, more effectively for what it was. And as a result of just continuing to up and increase and stack my skills, always learning, learning business stuff, listening to business podcasts, Pat Flynn, early inspiration, now a very good friend of mine. Uh, those kind of things really matter. Um, admiring uh, Terry White, Adobe evangelist, graphic designer, photographer, jack of all trades. Now, somebody that I like have had the pleasure of meeting, having lunch with, have talked to, can message back and forth, uh, can text if I really want to. Um, and he's also lives in Atlanta where I live now and live for five, the last five years. So I got to become friends with and meet people that I admired and looked up to. I got to meet my heroes, which is very apropos for us being at Kajabi Hero Live. I got to meet my heroes and I wasn't disappointed. Yeah. Yes. I'd love to hear more about the the next phase uh, of transitioning from services to uh, digital products. What was your first move into that space? Mm, so I stayed in client services in different ways because I moved from doing creative services work to doing consulting and strategy because at a certain point, my social media presence began to be 
much better than like the clients that I had in bigger. And they noticed that too. And they're like, as much as I love your creative services work, that's easier to replace than your brain and your strategy. Cause the more they talked to me, the more they realized what I had and how I was seeing things very differently than they were. And they wanted to benefit from that. So then we moved into consulting and strategy based relationships, some social media management that also paralleled around the time I'm starting content creation, starting public speaking. The content creation between 2013 and 2016, I grew to 100,000 subscribers in YouTube, 800 videos to do that. That gave me an incredible amount of leverage because it's just something most people don't have. As many people don't realize, there's like, there's 100 million global YouTube channels worldwide. There's over 60 million active YouTube channels worldwide currently. Social Blade, I believe, tracks 67 million of them, but it doesn't count channels under a certain size. That's where I come up with the 100 million number because a lot of people debate or argue um, that number because what they'll find reporting on, is they'll find the conservative estimate of like 50 million uploaders to YouTube, like, or 50 million channels, but that's like counting active channels and channels of a certain size. It's not counting all the YouTube channels that exist. And the thing is that number still falls short of just the number that Social Blade alone is tracking in real time. It's about 10 million shy of that. So we know that the number is bigger and only growing. You could go conservative and say, oh, 60 million, 50 million if you want to, just because that's the number that you can Google search. Realistically, it is larger because you're not counting every small channel or creator or every inactive channel. And, so, and I understand why people may not want to count that. Go 50 million, 100 million, either way. Here's the fact. Less than a million creators have even a silver play button that you get at the 100K level. Um not even a hundred thousand creators have a gold play button. It is about roughly as of right now in 2013, it's about 360,000 silver play buttons globally worldwide. You have to account for the fact that half of those are media companies, tech companies, corporations that have large following and celebrities, musicians, artists, singers, um, and channels that recycle clips from TV shows. So there's all of that plus the explosion of YouTube shorts. So you still have less than half a million silver play button holders. You still have less than 50 million gold play button holders worldwide. There are only 60,000 or so silver play button holders in the United States of America. There's less than 150,000 English speaking channels with silver play buttons globally worldwide combined. There are less than, less than 10,000 gold play buttons in the United States of America. I believe it's less than 8,000, probably closer to 6,000 in the United States of America. 36,000 gold play buttons worldwide. Um, in terms of people who have 10 million subscribers and diamond play buttons, that is less than 2,000 channels globally worldwide. Again, with a good portion of that being like WWE, Conan O'Brien, Ellen DeGeneres, the late night shows, the big media companies. And there are currently only seven. It will be 12 soon. There are only seven channels at 100 million worldwide. Two of them are big media companies uh, in India, Set India, which is Sony Entertainment in um, India. And the other one is T-Series, which is a local um, you know, uh, Indian media company there. And then after that, you have what? PewDiePie and Mr. Beast, Diana Kids Show, Light Nastia, um, all mostly children's channels, and Coco Melon, uh, which is nursery reps. So it's literally, basically, two global like media conglomerates in a population of over 1.4 billion people, and then five influencers who cater mostly to children and teenagers. And those are your 100 million. So like I have the perspective of like how rare success is in content creation at a level that like people don't realize because like 
that is like even just getting a silver play button it it like it makes you if there's even 50 million channels and there's not even half a million play buttons then like we're literally talking about the 1%. Like we're literally talking the 1%. If you had 10,000 YouTube subscribers, you'd be in the top 10% of all YouTube channels. And most people don't realize that. Like that's how serious we're talking about. A gold play button, you're like 0.1, like you're less than like, you're like a 0.1%er if you have a million subscribers. You are literally a 0.1%er if you have a million subscribers. It's that rare. I say all that and just say that it's like, so I got into the consulting and that part of client services very early. And then I didn't immediately go into digital products, digital downloads. I went into one-on-one coaching with Kajabi and I went into a group membership. That's Awesome Creator Academy, uh, awesomecreatoracademy.com if anyone wants to check out everything I have. So we like we started that and I moved to Kajabi with that and did that in late 2017. I want to say like November or December. So like realistically, you would say 2018. So that's why I say, oh, and now it's been like five years because I'm using like calendar, like years of like how much time actually put in. And so uh, that has been successful. And then my first digital product was the YouTube starter kit, $99 for over 100 Photoshop templates. Um, We do a bunch of title formulas to help you structure your titles. We have a gear guide in terms of like, okay, what to get yourself in terms of hardware for setup, software guide, a lot of things just that help people get started, a bunch of checklists. But the big allure is that we have like over 100 Photoshop templates that people use. We have like over 100 thumbnail templates by themselves. We've got like maybe like 20 uh, channel artwork templates. We have end cards. We have streaming graphics. We have like all this stuff. So like it's less than like a dollar a download in value. And then there are all these bonuses because there's like, you know, like 10 categories of assets in the thing. So it's an easy sell. And with Kajabi, we've sold 1600 of that digital product over time with coupons and discounts. I believe that it's generated about 140,000 or more in revenue as a standalone product. It's one-on-one coaching between... 30 minute channel reviews, 90 minute calls. I've probably done one on one coaching with over 200 plus creators. We currently have been doing quarterly workshops around brand deals. I think we've put 60 or 75 people through that workshop so far. And we just started doing that uh, two quarters ago. In terms of other products, we more recently launched something called the Brand Deal Starter Kit to help people with sponsorship brand deals. We included three different media template kits in there. Two of them are six page Photoshop templates. The other one's a two page like uh, template for like kind of like more of a rate card um, or a press kit. Uh, we have a bunch of other assets in there. We have like over 12 email outreach uh, template swipe files for people to reach out to brands. That's another $99 product when we're not running a coupon. I think we've like had that like very briefly, and I've very rarely promoted it. We have, I think, over 250 plus customers for that one on a digital product. I think a month ago, maybe a little bit longer, we launched this thing called um, Creator Prompts, which has ChatGPT uh, Creator Prompts in it. We give people over 200 ChatGPT uh, custom uh, prompts around content creation and different categories of content creation, 
even things like uh, content calendar and things like that. And that was all built on Kajabi. And we've had that out for maybe a month, maybe a slightly longer. We've sold over 200 of that. And that's a $9.99 product. And it's relatively new, barely marketed and promoted. I only have one YouTube video that mentions it. Aside from that, we've done Twitter posts and some community tab posts. Um, we've done a little bit of promotion to the email list, but like we've like sold over 200 of that and we've only ever had one person complain about it. And like, they just had to be given like better instructions <laughs> and that's it. Like, so, um, that is, um, something that was really interesting and really solid. So with Kajabi, the irony is that like, we've done a lot without selling outright courses just yet around our products. That's another phase for me. I believe that when we move to online courses, that once we have like three flagship courses and maybe like three like smaller micro courses, like I think when we have like some stuff that's like $199 and then the big stuff being $499, I think that we'll do well enough with those even in the first year to where I think we will literally go to over a quarter million a year in direct uh, sales around that. We're expanding the digital product ecosystem for starter kits. So there's a great YouTube starter kit, brand deal starter kit. We're going to go live stream starter kit, podcast starter kit. Um, and we're also going to make more standalone media kits that people can buy for like 19 bucks. If, okay, you don't want all the other things in the starter kit. Okay. Just buy a media kit template for your brand deals. 19 bucks already designed in Photoshop for you. Swap out your text and files. So like the digital template thing is something we're really excited about. I'm hoping to talk to more of the Kajabi product. Um, development team because I would love there to be something that's more digital download centric and not just uh, courses, community and coaching, even though all those things are fantastic. I feel like if there's something more for the digital download side, that helps a lot of people like me because there's so much money in simple digital downloads and templates, planners, um, you know, uh, things of that Photoshop templates. I think like that's going to be a really big deal for people. So I'm hoping that that manifest in some way. My point is, I'm not saying all this is like a humble brag or as a sales pitch. It's that courses has been delayed in the way that we approach things for a very long time. And I had some regrets about that, especially seeing people become multi-millionaires, but also seeing the feedback people got in courses and how it helped them. Because what we realized with the one-on-one coaching is as great as that is, that people actually value consolidated information and reference material because I realized that, oh, wait, because I have near perfect recall, I take for granted that not everyone can retain catalog and sponge all this information in ADHD brain like I can. So with that being a problem for people, being able to conveniently reference something that has curation, consistency, continuity, and convenience, I realized that's what a course is. A course is not about the uniqueness of its information. It's about the fact that you're offering consolidation consistency, continuity, because it's a singular source and that's wildly convenient for people. And that's what they're willing to pay for. And that is a type of person. It's also for a self-initiated person versus somebody who might need accountability, needs a community for accountability. And then somebody who might need guidance needs a coach. These are different value propositions. So there are people who need resources and references. And for them, courses and, and templates is ideal. Then there are people who need accountability and support. And for them, they need community. There are people who need to be uh, onboarded into their ideas. And so for them, they need free content in multiple formats, whether it's a podcast, 
an article, an infographic, or a video that does it for them. They need onboarding and they need their first steps because once they have an understanding of something, then they understand what something is about. Then they can be part of a community. Then they might need specific guidance to go forward or then resources and references will matter to them because they have a baseline for understanding. So that's what kind of was my aha enlightenment moment of courses do need to be part of my ecosystem. And I don't feel entirely late to the party because there's so much that's changed just since the pandemic that a lot of what exists in the ecosystem and marketplace of courses have become wildly outdated. Yeah. So I'm not late. I'm on time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's uh, coaching is a great way to get an understanding of your market, to get an understanding of what your customer desires are, what to actually sell them. Uh, You can find out through those coaching sessions. Uh, So uh, tell it. And by the way, I'm glad you called it out. Perfect recall. My goodness. Um, Absolutely amazing. Near perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're like an encyclopedia. um, The way you where you're pulling those references. Um, so I guess tell us a little bit about just the journey to uh, like monetization through um, your the products that you sell. Did you are you still like are you fifty fifty services? Are you eighty twenty? Oh, I can I can give you the so I have a diversified model because like even in my book, which you guys should definitely buy on Amazon. Um, even in my book. I talk about the seven income streams of content creators, which I directly stole from the seven income streams of millionaires, sure. right? And so for, for um, anyone in the creator economy, it comes down to you can have uh, royalty or platform revenue, which could be ad revenue. And there's other things they offer sometimes like creator funds, for example. So platform revenue. Okay, cool. You have direct donation fan funding. Okay, great. You can have memberships, which could be on platform or it could be your own membership community, like what Kajabi offers. You have client services, which is where I got my start. Then you have products, whether they're digital or physical. Uh, it could be either one. Then you have brand deals and sponsorships, which may, which fluctuates on being my largest income source. So you can have those brand deal partnerships and sponsors, whether that's short term, one offs or recurring contracts. I prefer recurring contracts. And then you have affiliate marketing. Javi has a generous affiliate program in perpetuity. I love my SaaS affiliate programs. And so those are my seven diversified income streams. And I can be very candid and transparent. I share my numbers publicly. I was inspired by my good friend and mentor, Pat Flynn. Uh, he doesn't do income reports anymore. I sporadically do them. For me, it's not about, oh, and do I want to reveal this and everything like that? It's like, no, it's just a pain in the butt to go through the damn spreadsheets. <laughs> yes. So like, um, the, like, so, but I can do a general, breakdown of kind of these things and everything like that. Um, I can't give you specific numbers on the brand deal sponsorships, but sure. everything like that, but like suffice to say that with the, the current um, relationships and contracts in place and everything like that, a hundred K a year baseline for um, sponsorships and brand deals uh, content uh, with current contracts in place um, in a 12 year cycle, sorry, 12 month cycle. Why don't I say a year? I wish uh, like a 12 month cycle. Um, from the affiliate marketing between my best SaaS affiliates recurring in perpetuity averages to on the recurring side, a little over uh, six grand a month uh, since the pandemic. Pre-pandemic numbers were closer to about eight grand. But when combined with one-off affiliates and bonuses and things like that um, from companies that don't necessarily do recurring, uh, it turns out to be uh, closer to like uh, 7,500 to 8,000 a month. 
total, whereas it used to be before the pandemic, 8,000 to uh, almost 10,000, everything like that. Pandemic took a, a hit of like 20, 25% there. Um, with Kajabi affiliate currently, I'd say averages uh, 1,400 a month, TubeBuddy, um, 4,000, 4,500 a month, various miscellaneous ones, uh, 500 a month or less. And then after that, I stopped like counting as ruthlessly on that. So that's how you get to that number. So I can break it down. AdSense fluctuates based on my publishing frequency. So in on general, it usually is going to be 4,000 a month. If I'm doing even, um, you know, once a week between streaming and posting, if I do that, like even like once a week, it's going to usually be about as long as I get 4,000, sorry, as long as I get 400,000 views in a month cycle, I'm going to do 4,000 to 5,000 ad revenue because I have an RPM, uh, revenue per mil, revenue per thousand views that averages between uh, 10 to $12. Um, before the recession, that used to be between 15 and $18. Before the recession, there was about 30% uh, hit for that. I also have drastically reduced my publishing output on my main YouTube channel because I'm doing so many other things. Uh, plus, I got really, really depressed during the pandemic. I used to publish about 150 videos a year on my main channel. Uh, then it got cut down to almost uh, less than 50. So that's a big drop off. We're trying to return to consistency. I still have a goal of publishing at least 100 videos this year. We'll see what happens. But I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to get back on the consistency train uh, in a post-pandemic world. Had to rebuild the mental health to do all of that. So that still is a, it's not an insignificant revenue stream, but you can see how my off-platform revenue is stronger than on-platform. If you uh, look at ad revenue, sponsorships, people would say, well, doesn't your YouTube channel depend on views for the sponsorships? Not really in my case. It's reputationally based. And it's also that I have the strategy that I teach in my brand deals workshop and that I'm teaching the brand deals course of negotiating to do content on the brand's platform. Hugely underrated. You have to know how to negotiate that. You have to understand the brands deeply and what they want, but you can probably make as much or more money giving them and licensing them content that they can own the rights to and that you license them the ability to use your likeness for either a duration or in perpetuity and you get paid either upfront or recurring on that if you do it properly. But negotiating those contracts is something that you have to be very thoughtful about because you are tying your reputation to their reputation. So you can't do it with just anybody You've got to have a good relationship and you got to know the brand's not going to be sketchy and you're not going to regret it and you're not going to have to apologize for the association later. <laughs> FTX. Um, so the, um, you have to get it right. The, so when you break down kind of like these income streams for me, then you have like coaching and you have the, we do coaching. We have my membership community. We do all of that on Kajabi. We have the digital products that does over a hundred thousand a year. So you can see like how, like my income streams get me to like over $300,000 a year, like on average, a down year, it'd be like a quarter mil. Um, I have, like I said, one full-time, one part-time employee. I have my sister who works for me part-time. Uh, and she's great, you know, um, you know, and I have Andy Rivera. She's amazing. And then I have freelancers intermittently and everything like that. So that's a big part of my, like, you know, I have to take care of my people. So like, that's a big deal. And that's like, you know, not an insignificant amount of my revenue. Then there's a lot of SaaS cost in what I do because we're heavy on the automation and stuff like that. Um, a lot of our tools, they obviously pay for ourselves, especially with affiliates, but it still is money that you have to outlay. Taxes are not insignificant. 
living good old Georgia. Thank you for like, you know, um, lower state taxes and everything like that. Um, would be a popper in like, you know, and if you live in New York or California, that $3,000, uh, $300,000 a year as a small business owner that has expenses, taxes, operational costs and employees, uh, you, you're a popper yeah. in that situation. It, that might sound, um, out of touch and everything like that. Uh, that's only out of touch for people who have not done the expense report and not paid the taxes and everything like that mm-hmm. and have not, uh, worked 80 hours a week in their business. Uh, by the time you do that, you are better off being an employee. Okay. So. If you're going to go that route, probably better not to live in New York or California because you won't even have enough time off to enjoy it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like living in good old Georgia. It's like, it's nice. It's quiet. Everyone leaves me alone. It's fantastic. So, um, and I got the, the best airport in the country so I can come out here. <laughs> right on, right on. So, I mean, so, yeah, that's the that's the breakdown of like my um, income streams and like top line in gross revenue. Gross is not net. I still do well for myself. I think like, you know, after taxes, you, uh, I still, you know, still, um, you know, do a, over a hundred K a year. So still six figures after taxes, totally grateful. Uh, but you know, content creator and entrepreneurship, there's not a company that pays a 401k. You do it yourself. So I have to put a significant amount away for my own future, like each and every year. And since I started late in life with this, I didn't have any savings like Jared, like when I was like, I didn't have any savings until I was like 30 years old. Always an emergency, couldn't afford it. And like in my case, in my entire 20s, I helped my mom raise my like three younger siblings and everything like that. And I took on all the bills at about roughly, I think I was like 22 when I took on all the bills. And so um, it's not been an easy thing to do that and to build a business. It's delayed a lot of other things in life. There's a lot I gave up. And uh, I'm even like at, 38 now i'm late to still looking at i'm now looking at starting my own family because like i had to give up my entire 20s that's the optimal time to do that i spent 30 starting over leaving like you know a career behind to do all of this and it's been great i retired my mom i help her out you know she's a diabetic so she has like a lot of medical expenses i was recently able because of the blessing of doing all this i was able to uh pay for cataract surgery she was going uh blind and um Instead, you know, instead of calling up Mr. Beast, be like, "Hey, can I get in on that uh, free uh, surgery tip?" It's like uh, that that option wasn't available. So the thing is, I, you know, I, I was happy to be in the position to make sure that my mother gets to keep her vision and gets to see her children. So. Yes, my goodness, and that's kind of you just described the the flip side to the freedom is you also hold all the responsibility when you're an entrepreneur. Like you- overwhelming. Like with great power, they there must come great responsibility. And um, like entrepreneurship and work is not entirely like freedom, let's say. It might be agency, but not freedom in, in the same regard. There's an escape velocity required for freedom. That amount and that dollar amount is directly tied to how many people you care for in your life and that you have to uh, take care of to act on that care. You know, like, so the number, the amount of freedom you have in entrepreneurship is in proportion, not only to the amount of money you make, but in proportion to the amount of people that you take responsibility for. And that number changes completely based on that. It, it's based on that. And also where you live yeah. as well. And also the circumstances in those people's lives. If you have people you take care of that have, chronic illness, disability, elderly, 
or our younger people in your life that you need to take care of or protect, whether that's siblings or children or anything, um, that changes that number because that's money. Every time you do that, you can't reinvest into growth because you're sustaining other people. When you have employees that you deeply care about, you want to take care of them as well. And so the thing is, like, you could look at, oh, this or that, but it's like one employee. If, if like you have a very small business, even if, yeah, you're all, oh, you're making six figures after taxes. Well, proportionately, one third of whatever your like gross income is someone else's entirely livelihood. That's like not an insignificant outlay. And then when you expand that, uh, even if you grow the business by X amount, the thing is sustaining that growth still requires reinvestment. And I, and also then what about the runway for rough months or years? We had a three year pandemic. A lot of businesses didn't outlive it, unfortunately. I don't think most people find these problems to like be relatable because of the scale of these problems. But if they had to be in that position, they would want some thoughtfulness, some empathy, some resources, and they would want a community of people who do understand these problems, even if they know that that's not going to be a very large community. Because like you could say that these are luxury problems. I would say they're niche problems. Well, Roberto, you've made this conversation incredibly easy on me. You've like answered all my questions without me even asking you. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you've you covered the entire storyline. Um, I guess like I just want to ask you like for our listeners who are tuning in. How can they find out more about you? How can they find out about your book? You mentioned it earlier, but love to plug it again. Here. Oh, sure. Uh, so I wrote a book, uh, Create Something Awesome, How Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion, The Creator Economy. It's about 40,000 words, uh, 20 chapters. It talks about the real experience of being a content creator. It even has four or five chapters dedicated to the mental health aspects of being a content creator, maybe not being understood by your family or people around you and still needing to feel a sense of support burnout, overworked, overwhelm. It covers a lot of these things, even online criticism and how to deal with negativity. So like it, it covers the realities of that mental health aspect. It requires, it covers the realities of monetization, the real numbers, real a- examples and anecdotes from people who have lived it. Uh, it shares some of my story and journey as well. It has tactical, actionable advice in there for anyone who's looking to become a content creator. And it gives a good overview about the creator economy and the intersectionality of the craft of creativity, the technology that enables it through uh, content creation tools and platforms, as well as the business aspect and what you need to do there and why you need to build a true creator business and expand and diversify your monetization and why things like Kajabi, who I actually do shout out in the book, are a great way um, to do that. I mean, look at what it's been able to do for me and my family. So uh, you can find the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Target, basically anywhere books are sold. It's an ebook, uh, paperback, and hardcover. Uh, audio hopefully coming soon by the end of the year. And you can find out more about my creator business at awesomecreatoracademy.com. You can join our membership group if you are looking for accountability and support. We do office hours twice a week with myself and Andrew Rivera to answer all your questions, to keep you up to date on changes happening in the creator economy and to talk live one-on-one with you with the group and even have the panel give you feedback. We also propose daily to the private Facebook group with questions or things you want um, advice, support, or critique on. We're very gentle about the critique. We also, on the back end of that, something we do is we combined, um, instead of building a course, we built a library for our members of resources with like over 100 hours of uh, training that's not on my YouTube channel. 
where we go really in depth. Um, and so we have that in the archives, uh, in the back end using Kajabi. Thank you for the unlimited video hosting. We needed it. Um, just bump up those file size limits though, will you? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so we have that. So that was like really cool that we were able to use Kajabi for like so much of this. And then, uh, so we have the membership. You can get one-on-one coaching with me as well. And we also have a variety of digital download assets and templates. And soon to come, we will have courses on everything you need as a content creator. We will have specialty courses for all of it. So we're really happy to host that on Kajabi. We're very happy. Um, it does like literally like 95% of what we need. The other 5% I will give is feedback to the product team. <laughs> and uh, the users will love me for it. Believe me. Yes. Um, excuse me. So yeah, we have that. Uh, if you want to know more about me, my journey, my story, you can go to robertoblake.com. Uh, I post a lot of things there. I also blog over there still on occasion um, and share some of my insights. You can check out the podcast, uh, which is also called Create Something Awesome Today podcast. You can find that everywhere podcasts are available. And of course, you can look up my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at robertoblake. And I'm at Roberto Blake in all social medias and uh, verified everywhere and not really on TikTok because it's probably going away. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I got. Uh, Jared, it's been a pleasure. You got anything else you need to ask me or anything else you need? Yeah. I mean, no, I just got, I'm going to put you on the hook uh, okay. for one final thing before I let you go. Uh, give us some coaching right now in real time for any of oh, our listeners sure. who are like, you know, maybe considering taking that leap. What's the first step? Where should they start? Well, do, what do they want to do? They want to do, do they want to do YouTube, podcasting, live streaming, or do they want to be an online writer? Oh, I can't pick for everyone. Can I, is there a generalized approach or is there? In theory, yes. But contextually, I don't find it to be that, that helpful. Um, you, do you have enough time for me to give you a little bit of each? Yes. Let's okay. do it. So with YouTube in theory, um, what I would tell you is most of the audience listening, they're going to be entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial. They're not necessarily going to be working class graders, right? Yeah. Okay. So given that, I would tell them that um, they need a 50 to 100 video strategy plan. And if they're using this to support their business, I don't want them really doing the experimental phase of, oh, have fun with it. It's like, because you're, you're a business person, your career, strategically plan 50 to 100 videos that ultimately are in the service of the community that you are providing value to and you lead with value. If the value is clear, the views will be more consistent. If the value is unclear and it's confusing as to who this is for, a niche is not a prison. A niche is a declaration of your um, commitment of service to a community. A niche is not a prison. It's a commitment. So get that part out of your mind of feeling stuck or stranded and everything like that. You get to serve these people. It's not that you're trapped into serving these people. You get to serve them. So put that service part first. Value for the viewer comes first. So identify and clarify down your value. Then make 50 to 100 video topic plans that serve that value proposition. Then formulate titles that are clear and strong and not ambiguous that speak to that customer avatar and that address and validate their problems, their concerns, their anxieties, their frustrations, or that share in their enthusiasm for something or their curiosity. That's how you craft titles. Um, thumbnails for YouTube have to pass what we call the vibe check at Awesome Creator Academy. We have a vibe check. Is it visually interesting? Does it inform the viewer with storytelling? 
is the design um, bold and able to um, visually stand out from the crowd? And then is it eye-catching? Is it a thumb stopper in your phone? 80% of traffic on YouTube is for mobile devices. It's got to be a thumb stopper. It's got to be an eye-catching thumbnail. So it has to pass the vibe check. Only good vibes here. Do not publish this video without passing the vibe check. So that is the upfront packaging of the thing up front and value is communicated in topic, title, thumbnail, and to a degree, timing. Timing ties into trends as well. So you have to understand your avatar and understand whether you're making evergreen content or you're trend jacking. You have to understand what you're doing and what the method of timing is and cater your expectations in views and clicks accordingly. The best performing videos I have of all time suck outside the gate because they are evergreen content. They are essentially boring S&P 500 stocks, okay? Viral videos are basically for kids who are going to FOMO into crypto. It's the same thing of, oh, like, I'm going to the moon. It's the same thing on your views. If you're a business person, be boring like me. Like, S&P 500 version of YouTube is evergreen content that stacks views over time indefinitely that you can milk for five years of compound interest. Like, so that's, that's the thesis of it. And then from a monetization schema standpoint, you want the evergreen because this is also a funnel for your business, which means you want to put the links to your direct products in there. You want the links to your services. You want affiliate links, hopefully for SaaS companies. And then you want the recurring monthly revenue off of that. You want to lead to your own MRR um, funnel. If that's a membership group like with Kajabi, uh, which you're hopefully using, same type of deal. So that's where the evergreen value really compounds for you through your multiple monetization schema uh, of approaching that. You um, want to make sure that you're making quality videos, but don't overemphasize high quality to some extreme that's unsustainable to recreate. You want the ability, if we're talking about 100 videos a year, which I think is a solid thesis because it gives you good data, we're talking about literally publishing twice a week without fail. So um, that's what you're going to want to do. And if we're uh, making that approach and we're doing it thoughtfully and strategically, and we're even planning in quarters, you can even look at this as like, okay, I'm making 20 for 25 great videos that I've strategically planned every quarter. So you think about it from that perspective. Okay. So when it comes to quality around those, you want to focus on um, the three Ps. Quality is production quality. It is um, personality and it is performance on camera. The thing that's uh, easy and technical and not subjective is the production value. Good lighting, good audio, good in-focus, sharp, tack camera, that's not subjective. That is an objective valuation of quality. And immediately when we see that effort is not there, and this is not a technically accurate, proficiently made video, the craftsmanship isn't there. So we're out. Bad audio especially. These things are about eliminating distractions. Good enough is good enough with that. And it doesn't have to be wildly expensive, but it does have to be specialized. That means go and buy a dedicated mic. Do not use the in-camera microphone. That means get a controlled lighting source so that you can have consistent lighting. And it means make sure that you understand the camera or phone or apparatus that you're using, but mostly you at least need dedicating lighting sources and audio sources. So you do that. Okay, so once we have that out of the way, that's production. Well, performance is the thing that's $0 to improve. That's either spent in practice. You can improve it with Toastmasters. You can improve it by just practicing on Instagram by doing stories every day until you're used to talking to a, a phone or a camera like a lunatic. And then you'll just get better with uh, practice. So performance is improved by practice. Easy peasy. Okay. But also in terms of performance, you're looking at 
your clarity of communication, your confidence on camera, and your ability to connect emotionally with the viewer. So you have to be thoughtful about that. So again, those are three easy like steps to improve there. And then finally, well, what is personality? Personality, as best as I describe it, comes down to storytelling, structure, and uh, style. So you have to uh, improve your capacity and abilities as a storyteller. And that's a lot of how you communicate and how you present and emote things. Style, I refer to as partly it's we're mostly referring to your editing style and your pacing, but it also can be your uh, visual style, even at a production level and even your own aesthetic in terms of how you wear, what your set design, what dresses, because then that's uniqueness. So that's valuable in personality. And that's how we communicate personality is through style visually and because it's immediate and obvious. And then there's also your structure. Your structure is also editing style, but it's also uh, pacing. And it's about how you handle hooks, meat, and outros. So like, you know, it's about that, that beginning, middle, end. It's about, and then the storytelling and execution of that is the hero's journey, largely. Um, Joseph Campbell. Yep. So like, that's a really good thesis for the quality part. I've told you about the consistency part. Upload every week, one to two times a week, 50 to 100 that consistency and frequency of what is valuable to the viewer. So the hierarchy is value. And then you have the quality is the experience. Value is what people are interested in and why they care about something. Then quality is how they experience the thing that they care. And then quantity is about the consistency, frequency, and reliability of that thing. And it's about continuity as well. So that's like, you know, like, so quantity isn't just about quantity for quantity's sake. Quantity is about consistency, frequency, and reliability. And those things are important and people do care about those things. Quality is the experience. And I told you why they care about that experience. And then I talked about value. You can deploy this same thesis largely to video podcasting as well as YouTube and to live streaming as well. So I think that covers most of our bases. You could still apply a lot of this to writing if you eliminate the visual elements that I talked about as they apply to video and focused on those as they regard to say graphic design, imagery, photography, and brand identity. And you would basically still be consistent across the gamut of content creation. If you just apply these methodologies that I'm talking about, this is what is in my YouTube content. It introduces these things for free. This is what we train on and refine and identify as weaknesses in our individual one-on-one coaching clients. This is what we handhold people through in Awesome Creator Academy's group training. And we built frameworks, PDFs, resources, and templates around addressing these things and tools to improve upon them. And even rigid personal training that you can put yourself through to say, here's how I'm going to level up at those things. Here are the tools or resources I'm going to invest in to improve at these things. Uh, so we do that. And this is also going to be the thesis and foundation of how we approach uh, course development as well is um, tackling and defining these things for people and helping them relentlessly improve 1% of them with every upload that they do to compound their efforts. Well, I feel like we got a master class for free uh, here today. Yeah, it's a general idea. Um, <laughs> like, I can only imagine the the value that you'll be, you're going to get if you check out your podcast, your YouTube channel, or, you know, take on one of your, uh, your book. Um, yeah. Like, oh my goodness, my friend, that was very, very in-depth, very actionable. Um, thank you for taking the time. No, it's my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking to creators. Yes. Yeah. I, I've got one more thing. Um, sure. I'll, I'll try my best to be concise. I know <laughs> I'm hyper long-winded. Well, I just want to know for you, like, 
what's changed for you as a result of going on this entrepreneurial journey? We talked a little bit about freedom and how like, you know, there is an inverse to that, but like, what is like the driving factor for you? My family, um, with me, my mom and my three younger siblings were literally living off of my $35,000 a year salary. And now I've been able to transform and change the lives of everyone that I deeply, deeply uh, care about. I was able to, one of the happiest moments of my life, proudest moments of my life, it's not the awards, the accomplishments, uh, even best-selling authors, nice that thing is. One of the happiest and one of the greatest moments of my life was being able to put $10,000 in my mom's hands and know that she could like square away a lot of her debt, being able to finish paying off her car note and not have that, and knowing that that made a massive difference in her life and gave her the opportunity to do things. And she never held that amount of money in one time in her hand. There was a uh, issue with the with the bank with that too, like because they were like, you've never had this kind of money before. So like, you know, um, that's one of the uh, reasons I, I despise institutions. Uh, and a little bit of a rebel there. But that was one of the happiest moments of my life. Another one of the happiest moments of my life was as expensive as it is with this healthcare system, was being able to know that my mother had uh, a need of a, of a surgery that was going to be massively impactful to her quality of life as someone that's older in years and has a, a debilitating chronic illness. And I was able as her son to be able to step in on her behalf. And I was able to address that. And again, that's what's changed is I have the power to positively impact the people that I love and to protect them and to be able to provide for them and to be able to give them a quality of life I was never able to and that they weren't able on their own for whatever reasons, whatever those may be, things happen in this life. Um, and the thing is, I was blessed by being born in the right time, even though I didn't have everything at my fingertips that other people might have had. I was blessed to be born in the right time and in my mind with the right mother and imperfect as their marriage was even with the right father. Um, and the reality is that those are, those are gifts that I can't fully take credit for, but why I take credit for it is I didn't squander them. Yeah. I didn't squander them. I played my cards little that I had compared to other people to the hilt. And it wasn't easy. And even if you think I had a few aces up my sleeve, I still barely, barely managed to make those work for what I was up against. Uh, and all the, if you can figure out 12 ways to be disadvantaged, I qualified for eight of them. So there was a lot to overcome, but I was born in a time where it's actually possible. And I proved it. And I want to keep proving it to people because I think people underestimate what they're capable of and what they have to work with right now. If you're fortunate enough to be born in good health, fortunate enough to be born in a free country, and fortunate enough to be born in the late 20th to early 21st century, you have what you need to make something of yourself and to create value in this world. And I think that you should make the most of that. I think you should go out there, create something awesome in the world, share it with other people, and create a life that you're proud of. I can't imagine ending on a more inspiring note. Uh, the only thing I'm going to end with is just leaving our visitors, our listeners, a call to action. Um, I love it when I have another podcaster on the show. So instead of asking you to leave us a review, I'm going to ask you to check out Roberto's podcast. It was Create uh, Create Something Awesome podcast. Create Something Awesome Today podcast. Create Something Awesome Today. I forgot one word. Create yeah, one Something word. Awesome yeah. Today podcast. I'm sure it's available on all the platforms that you mentioned all earlier. All the platforms. We'll have it in the show notes. 
Go leave Roberto a review. We're not always so fortunate to be surrounded by people and voices. Uh, normally, we're in our studios when we're recording. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the studio recording. We'll just run it through Adobe's AI audio enhance. <laughs> well, I think that the benefit is that the whole point is I just love the commentary. I love the feedback because we don't get to hear our listeners most often when we're uh, recording our podcast. So leave Roberto a review. Um, check out his content. Thank you again, Roberto, for taking the time to share as much as you did, like uh, again, I can only imagine what our listeners will find if they check out any of your other content, given how much value you've given us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Jared. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that is all we have for you this week. Uh, we'll look forward, look forward to seeing you next week on the Kajabi Hedge Podcast.